This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 39 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Welcome to our show from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week talking with you about the mental side of sports. You know, this show has been on the air now for 19 years here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. And we're in the process of getting the show around the country. We're podcasted and our show is rebroadcast throughout the week. And our list of cities is growing, excited to say. So, you know, it's a show really one of the only shows of its kind in the country where we talk about your mind, your attitude, sportsmanship, confidence, preparation, focusing, how to deal with team building, how you coach the right way, how you deal with wacko parents on the sideline, what do you do when you fail, what's the difference between winning and losing. I've been in practice for 39 years. We started my 40th year of work to, after Labor Day Looking forward to that coming up. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have worked with so many great people throughout my career. And I love doing this show. It's my 29th year on radio here in Kansas City. And as I said, my 19th year here at Sports Radio at 10 WHB. And each week I try to bring up a topic that I think is pertinent for us to talk about. And, you know, with society today and everything going on, with the pandemic, with, with the whole changes that are going on in our lives, especially in sports, the mindset that we deal with all this is so important. And, you know, our last few years, we've, or last few years, our last few weeks, excuse me, our last few weeks, we've talked about the whole psychological impact of the pandemic and the pressures on people. We've been dealing a lot with safety. We've had a number of people on the show talking about how to deal with safety, some, some medical professionals, some coaches. I had two athletic directors on last week, high school athletic directors talking about how are they going to do it? How are they? If if there is going to be competition at the high school level at your sport, how are they going to do it? Because obviously, a lot of places are not going to play sports, but some are. And when we talk about all this, you know, the mental health aspect is, as you know, something I, I've talked about for years and years on this show. Athletes are people; they've got feelings. They've got to deal with things just like everybody else. But so many of us think, well, athletes, they're, they're superhuman. Well, maybe physically they may be more advanced than some of us, especially more than I am, especially at my age at 65. But they're still people, and the emotional side is so important. So today we're going to have a special guest on. His name is Michael Seeley. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist in the San Francisco Bay Area. And Michael's a former competitive cyclist. He's been very successful in his cycling career, and he's been working now in this area as well. And we spoke last week, and thought it'd be great to have him on the show. So he's uh, up very early in the Bay Area. Since our show is live in Kansas City at six, he's up at four out there. And Michael, are you awake? Doctor Jacobs, I am awake. 
That's good. Good. Well, thanks for getting up so early and joining us today. I appreciate it. And, you know, this this topic is something I've talked about for years on this show. And to be honest with you, a lot of people have blown it off. Oh, come on, Doc. You know, athletes, they, they, they're tough guys. You know, you're, you're a former competitive cyclist all the way to the Olympic trial level. You're a tough guy, right, Michael? Well, you know, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes you're not, right? Right, right. Be- because we're all human. Exactly. Yeah, so the whole psychological aspect of this scenario our, our society is in now is so important. And for athletes to deal with this, for, for and not, I'm not talking about professional athletes per se, but everybody, it doesn't matter if you're at the collegiate level, the high school level, or just a weekend warrior. We've got a lot of issues we got to deal with now, don't we? Indeed we do. So what, from your perspective, working with, with the athletes you work with, what's been one of the big topics that's come up for you in terms of this whole situation right now we're living in? Well, first of all, Dr. Jacobs, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I think you do great, important work, and it's a pleasure to be on your show. And, yeah, I think uh, one of the big topics that's coming up just broadly is uh, lack of control. Uh, I think, you know, athletes, their default is to not necessarily be a tough guy, a tough gal, but to have a real dominion and power over their sport. I mean, it's, uh, it's their identity. Uh, they use it to relieve stress. Um, they're achievement-oriented. And then, you know, when that's taken away, either your sport's curtailed or it's canceled outright, um, there's this loss of power. And I think that's really hard for, for athletes because they don't, deal with that, you know, loss of control or loss of power um, for a long, you know, long-term basis. You could have an injury, you can be out for a little while, but this, you know, the situation that's going on right now is so uncertain, and um, I think a lot of people, a lot of athletes have not dealt with these feelings. It's like, you know, what is going to be happening in the next six months? What's going to be happening in a year? It is a new thing for all of us to deal with a new thing for athletes to deal with. So the athletes that, you know, that I've worked with and even just people I see in my therapy practice who are not athletes are talking about this feeling of like, gosh, I wish, you know, I wish there's something I could do. Like, uh, what, what can I do? I feel powerless. And so I wish this really, thing, would, and I wish this thing would end now. Right. Don't yeah, you get that? Absolutely. Yeah. Just, um, you know, why, why can't this be over? What's going on? I want answers. Um, so it's, yeah, it's it's tough. It's this this loss of uh, kind of control and agency that people are feeling. Exactly. You know, that, that, as you were speaking there, that's what I was thinking is it's the loss of control. And yeah. and for an athlete, especially at the professional or collegiate level, they have lived a structured life in terms of their training, in terms of how they do yeah. everything, and it's gone yeah. because it's 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 like it's gone now. Pro sports is trying to come back, and obviously, you know, we've got baseball going on. MLS has been playing. The NFL is in, it, it is in training camps, but it's it's not the same. I mean, I, I work with a number of athletes, and, and everything's so much more structured, so much more yeah. controlled, and that takes away, I think, for a lot of these people, some of their freedom. Right? It's it's, it's like there's there's I won't say there's a paranoia, but for some people, there is a paranoia about I better not do the wrong thing, or I'm going to be in trouble. Yeah, you know, definitely people are on the edge. Uh, athletes are on edge too. Uh, is my sport going to, you know, is it going to open up and then be canceled? Like, kind of walking on pins and needles. And, um, 
Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a tough time for, especially for athletes, uh, for all of us, of course. Um, but one thing I was thinking about um, is also just this, this feeling of identity, especially for athletes. It's, you know, it's like their identity is taken away in a, in a way. Um, if you're not playing your sport on a regular basis, if you're not going to practice every day, if you're uncertain about your future, it's like, who am I? It's almost like, you know, an athlete is confronted with retirement for the first time and you must see this in, you know, your work with athletes is transitioning out of their sport into like a different life, different career. That is, is coming up also. It's like, you know, what if I can't ever play sports again? What's my identity? Yeah, it's a tough time for everybody. And, you know, as we talk throughout the show, I want to talk about, you know, especially kids and parents, because there is so much unknown right now. We, we don't know what's going to happen as we move into the fall uh, you know how this pandemic's going to affect us in our lives. We're, you know, we're trying to go back to school. We're trying to get kids back into the classroom. But obviously, some parts of the country schools being canceled. Some parts of the country it's going to be a hybrid situation. Some parts of the country it's going to be the opportunity to go full time. So, depending where you are, that is, it's a whole different situation. So we're going to talk about that. Joining me today is Michael Seeley. He's a therapist in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm really excited to have him on the show because he works with athletes as well. We're going to talk about this whole situation now and some coping strategies, how to get through this pandemic. If you're a parent, if you're a coach, if you're an athlete, if you're a sports fan, it's affecting all of us, obviously. And we're going to open up our phone lines. If you've got a question about this, how are you coping, how you're dealing with this, we'd love to help you out as well. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive, realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Show him you love him. Keep him safe. 
Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Olivia, from Washington. Laid off and trying to keep our little kids from realizing that mommy and daddy haven't eaten in a while. Roger, from California. I'm grateful we could afford our son's surgery. I'm nervous that now we can't really afford food. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Donna from Louisiana. The storm just hit, and we went from donating to the food bank to needing it. Keisha from South Carolina. I've been skipping meals so my two kids can eat, but filling up on water doesn't really work. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810, WHB in Kansas City. Joining me today is Michael Seeley. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist in the San Francisco Bay Area and works a lot with athletes. He's a former competitive cyclist himself. And of course, if you listen to the show, you know I worked with the Olympic, with our national cycling team from 1982 to 1988. And Michael, you probably were at one of the talks I gave years and years ago and probably didn't even realize it was me. <laughs> yeah, we were uh, we were talking before the show. Uh, I was at the Olympic Training Center in uh, 1985, and um, yeah, probably bumped into you. Yeah, but uh, obviously I left a great impression on you. Don't remember me, but I won't hold that against you, so there you go. But anyway, okay. we're, we're talking today about mental health, and you know, um, and, I, and I've mentioned this a lot on the show, but we have a lot of professional Olympic collegiate athletes now who are talking about their mental health. They're talking yeah. about how they're affected by things. Um, this past week, the Texas Tech women's basketball coach uh, was fired, resigned, because of abusive an abusive situation down there. A number of players have claimed that she's been verbally abusive for the last couple of years as her ten- in her tenure there. Athletes have transferred to other schools and talked about the what they they described as mental abuse by her verbal abuse by her we hear this all the time you know the psychological component of being an athlete is now becoming something that's 
being discussed. Of course, I think all this really came to prominence when Kevin Love had an anxiety attack a couple years ago and had no clue what it was and then figured out it was an anxiety attack. And he's now talking about mental health. We have Michael Phelps coming on shows a lot, talking about the struggles he's had with, you know, he had an alcohol issue. He's been depressed. And, you know, Michael, when we talk about an athlete, the, the pressure to win, let's forget the pandemic for a minute. Let's, let's, let's talk about the pressure to win when you get to that top level, it, it, collegiate level, the professional level. I always talk about if you if you're playing college sports, in my opinion, you've survived youth sports. You know, I have a book that I co-wrote with Jeff Montgomery, Kansas City Royals Hall of Famer, and Pete Malone, who is in the USA Swimming Hall of Fame as a coach, coached five Olympic gold medalists. And it's called Just Let Them Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes for Youth Sports. We talk about the pressures that exist. And don't don't you feel that's, that's you know, when we talk about sports, just to start off with, if you made it to the collegiate level, you survived all this stuff? Yeah, yeah, you made it through the gauntlet, you know. Um, it's, uh, yeah, especially what you're talking about um, with Kevin Love, you know, his, uh, his panic attack that he had and his powerful story of just being transparent and open about it. You know, you make it up to, you know, say Kevin Love's level and, you know, all those years he was dealing with panic, panic attacks and anxiety and toughing it out, made it all the way through there. And didn't know know what it was. Didn't even have any idea that's what was going on. Right, right. Yeah, it also, you know, makes me think about uh, Steve Young, too, the San Francisco 49ers, uh, had a book out a couple years ago. Um, It's about his lifelong struggles with anxiety. And he he just finally um, you know kind of spilled the beans uh, you know after his retirement of course but it's an incredible story so I encourage anyone listening to check out Steve Young's story and making it all the way through you know high school and college and you know pro sports and finally admitting like oh my god I have, you know I have a problem here um, I can't always handle anxiety or depression I am human it's okay to get help. Well, the, pro- the problem with this, in my opinion, okay, with all the years I've worked, especially with these professional and Olympic-level athletes, is f- for many of them, they don't even realize what it is, you know? Yeah. I mean, because it's, it's never been discussed. It's, it's been looked at as a sign of weakness. It's been looked at, at that there's something wrong with you. I don't care yeah. who you are. We all, we all have anxiety. All of us do. We all have to deal with stress. We all have to deal with pressure. And it's, it's how we learn to cope with it. And unfortunately... And you've listened to several of my podcasts. I've talked about this for a long time in the context that, you know, most coaches aren't very good at the psychological aspect of things. I'm not saying a lot of them aren't, but a lot of coaches are not very good at looking at the psychological component of things. And, you know, when they have practice, we start, let's go out there, we got to practice, got to be tough, whatever. They, you know, if you uh, fail, then you go run wind sprints. Well, okay, I get it, conditioning things, but. If you fail, if you miss a free throw, you're going to run wind sprints. What's the benefit of that? Okay, you might be in better shape physically, but is that going to help you shoot better free throws? And then how are you dealing with the anxiety about missing that free throw? So then you have that fear of, oh, if I miss, I'm going to run. And then you think about missing, and then you end up running, and then you think you're terrible, and then everybody gets mad at you. So how do, what do you think we need to do to change the, the culture, Michael, of coaches and dealing with failure when you coach? Yeah, uh, you know, first of all, there is um, there's a benefit to having a little bit of a tough guy or tough gal kind of edge to you. I think that can be you know one of the tools in your tool belt, and I think um, I think that's okay up to a point. 
I think it's okay for a coach up to a point to have that kind of little bit of edginess. And, I, um, and, and excuse me, and I agree with that. I'm not sitting here saying, yeah. oh, come on, you can't do that. I, I totally agree with you. But there's a point yeah, where you yeah. can go over the edge. Exactly, yeah. So there, there's a point where coaches, I think, really need to be attuned to what's going on individually with each athlete. Because you can give one athlete that treatment, and they're like, all right, another one, you know, it uh, can really affect them. So I think coaches really need to be tuned into the psychological character, individual unique character of each of their athletes they're working with and, um, and get, a, get a read on that, be really aware of that. Um, and that, that's, that's a challenge for a coach because oftentimes their, their athletes aren't going to speak up and say, hey, coach, you know, lay off. <laughs> but uh, I think it would be great if coaches got some more specific training on that, um, more sports psychology training. Um, I think also in general, having more meetings with their athletes, either individually, like, hey, how you doing? Just kind of like, you know, a little more of a casual meeting or more, you know, more team meetings and, and get that communication opened up. Because the more you communicate with your athlete, if you're a coach, the more likely they're going to come to you in a time of need. Well, you, you like, yeah, excuse, excuse me. You say that, and I agree 100%. And, and throughout yeah. my years of work, you know, I'm one of the first trained sports psychologists in the country. I've been doing this, as I said, for almost 40 years now. And Will County Grad School, 41 years. And there have been teams that I've worked with where, just to give you an example, I worked with the Kansas City Comets indoor soccer team back in the 80s. And our head coach, Rick Benben, who is one of my closest friends, wonderful guy, worked with Rick throughout his career coaching at UMKC. We had a schedule where I would meet with the team every 10 days. And it didn't matter. And this is right at the very beginning of this when nobody had heard of sports psychologists. But I met with the team every 10 days. didn't matter if we won or lost what was going on. And it worked. It did. The players opened up. They, tr- they learned to trust me. Uh, I was an integral part of the team. Rick ended up getting fi- Rick ended up getting fired in our third year. I was there, fourth fourth year I was there, and unfortunately, I, and he shouldn't have been fired. But we had a bunch of injuries and weren't playing well. And the guy who came in, I'm not going to get into who he was, but he didn't believe in it at all. Stopped the meetings and didn't want players really hanging out with me because he thought it was a sign of weakness. And unfortunately, that that's that's a big problem that we've got with a lot of coaches today is they see this as a sign of weakness. So we're going to get into this in our next segment, Michael, because I want to talk about your perspective working with athletes and coaches, especially in the context of the situations in life today. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Joining me is Michael Seeley, a management family therapist in the San Francisco Bay Area. We'd love to hear from you. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. 
One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. My guest today is Michael Seeley. He's a marriage and family therapist in the San Francisco Bay Area. We're having a really interesting conversation. And if you'd like to join us, if you have a question about how to cope with sports today, the lack of sports, or your fear of playing sports, great opportunity to give us a call. You know, Michael, one of the words that comes up a lot from a lot of my clients is fear. And there's there's the fear of success, the fear of failure, fear of letting people down, expectations of others. But in in society today, with the pandemic and the, just the the unknown scenario we live in, how much do you think fear plays a role with the people you're working with, and what do you think we can do about it? 
Oh, yeah. Uh, especially right now, there's a lot of fear, of course. Um, you know, I think the role it plays is um, kind of paralyzing people in a way. Um, you know, you think about the actual physiological functioning of fear. It's, you know, fight, flight, or freeze. It's this very primal thing. And, you know, it's driven by stress hormones, and you can actually measure fear on a brain scan. So it's a real thing. And, um, you know, people I've been working with, there is a lot of fear out there. And, um, you know, there's, there's a kind of a funny kind of cheesy acronym I like to use for fear, F-E-A-R. And I like to say, it's, I'm actually stealing this quote from uh, this guy named Zig Ziglar, who uh, does a lot. It's like a self-help guy from back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Oh, yeah, he was very, very popular. Yeah. But he has this, this great um, sort of mantra acronym for fear. He said it. you could look at fear as forget everything and run, F-E-A-R, or you could look at it as face everything and rise. Now, as, as cheesy or as corny as that is, it, it kind of works. And I like to, the people I work with to say, okay, look, is normal, first of all, normalize fear. You're human. you got the standard issue human body. Of course, you're going to feel, feel fear. Now, do you want to, how do you want to use that fear? Do you want to have it paralyze you, or do you want to use it as a signal that, hey, something's wrong here, and it's okay I'm getting these signals. What do I want to do about my fear? How can fear inform me? What's it trying to tell me? And be a little more curious about it, lean into it. And um, sometimes, you know, you need a professional to help walk you through fear. You may not have the skills, I like to call it skills, um, not, you know, any kind of mental problems, but you may not have the skills to walk through fear, especially at a time like what's going on right now. So um, I like to look at fear as sort of like a counselor or an informer or a signal, and it's trying to tell you something. You know, I, I love what you're saying, and I agree with you, obviously, 100%. One of the problems with that is, I always like to say, a good coach is a good psychologist, a bad coach needs a sports psychologist. A lot of coaches use fear as a motivator, but they don't understand their athletes psychologically enough that to, to comprehend or understand that, that when they use that fear with some athletes, it's, it's counterproductive. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I, using, using fear... Again, if it's, if you use it in a way, or if you're able to use, you know, maybe natural fear, maybe not from a coach, but in, in a way that um, empowers you, informs you, um, that's good. And of course, a coach needs to be really careful about that. Maybe a tiny bit might be okay. I, I would say probably none with younger athletes. I don't think there's any real place for that. Um, but coaches need to be aware of really the the power that they have. You know, these athletes are looking up to them, um, you know, what the coaches say about them is really important. So there's all this power dynamic going on. And I think coaches need to be really aware of that, um, using fear in a way that's where, where you're not even really conscious of the, the negative effects of it is, is irresponsible. And, you know, it would be great, again, for coaches to get more training in the psychology of the, of the sport. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, several years ago, um, read an article about the Seahawks in a ESPN magazine and that that year they won the Super Bowl and uh, their offensive line coach Tom Cable was quoted in the article and this is in the summer before they won the Super Bowl and he, he was the former Raiders head coach and he said you know 
uh, I didn't know how to coach until I came here. Mm-hmm. I was wrong. I used to yell and scream and criticize and, and insult my players. But then when I came here, I realized that was the wrong wrong way to do it. Now I listen to my players. And, yeah. I, and that, that really uh, stuck with me because obviously – you know the 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 old school method, and I'm not saying you know coaches shouldn't get on players. I mean, yeah, I get it. You you've got to find ways to mo- everybody's motivated differently. And today we have a whole new wrinkle in in in, in the scenario because of the pandemic. So there's the fe- there's the fear of getting sick and dying. Now, obviously, for- fortunately, we haven't heard of any professional athletes who have died from the pandemic. We hear a lot of them catch it. Everybody seems to be recovering, and it seems like. More and more people are catching this but are recovering and, and end up being okay. But there is that fear, and I've got several professional athletes that I work with, some NFL players who are in training camp right now, who've said, you know, that the, <clears throat> we're having meetings, we're talking about it. Uh, several of these guys, they have psychologists on their team who've had meetings with the team, and they've talked about dealing with their feelings, dealing with the anxiety about this. And, and that's been good, and it's been healthy because it's given them the opportunity to, to, to voice their concerns and, and, share, and share how they feel about it because a lot a lot of people are, you know a lot of people I work with have families and one one fellow I talked to yesterday said look doc you know I'm in training camp now but when my family gets here in a, in a couple of weeks you know my my wife is concerned about what if she goes out with the kids and she catches this then she gives it to me the guilt she's feeling is terrible so there there's all this fear about this and. I think talking about it's you know one of the best ways to solve it and coming up with game plans for it. What do you think about that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. The more you can talk about it, the better. Um, you know, people. I think I've seen at least in my uh, my private therapy practice, um, some people are you know reluctant to talk about it because just there's a fear of of finding out more. You know, uh, what what if I you know talk about this? I find out more facts. Uh, it's even worse news. Um, but. The fact is, we're getting more and more information on the coronavirus. You know, there's more and more data coming out, and um, the more you can talk about it, the better. And what I like to talk about with some of my uh, my clients is worst case scenarios. Like just straight up, let's talk about your absolute worst fear, and let's walk through it because we're doing this, you know, um, in a safe environment. We're, we're talking about this, and just literally talk about what is your worst fear, and when you break it down, oftentimes, most often, you realize that, okay, what are the odds of that actually happening? And I like to work with people around percentages and numbers. Um, what's the percentage chance you think that you're going to die, you know, from COVID? If you're a, an athlete, 25-year-old athlete, healthy, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's very low. Um, of course, people are worried about spreading it to people, you know, who are elderly as well. Um, and again, let's talk about that worst case scenario. Uh, how would you, you know, protect that person? What are some practical things? And when you talk it out in the worst case scenario, you, you get a lot of insights. You know, use someone as a sounding board. It's not all in your head. You don't have to figure it out all by yourself. You don't have to have all the answers. Uh, so yeah, the more you can talk about just your worst fears and open up. And I, I think coaches can do that as well. That's that's a skill to have. Um, encourage your players to talk about their worst fear. You know. And let's talk it out. You're, and, what you, yeah, and, and yeah. what you're saying, see, to me, it, the healthy part of this is talking, sharing, yeah. expressing, opening up. Uh, for years, it's been looked at as a sign of weakness uh, if you talk about how you feel. 
Now yeah. we're seeing, you know, other than, you know, if you play sports, you got to be tough. You got to be strong. You got to be mentally tough, physically tough. Now it's okay to talk about what you're scared of, what you're afraid of, especially in the, in the scenario we're living in today. And it's okay to discuss it because so many of these things, oftentimes most of these things are irrational anyway. I mean, you worry about things that aren't going to happen, but it's good to talk about it and discuss it. And that's the importance of having, you know, somebody who understands that. I'm sports psychologist, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest today is Michael Seeley. He's a marriage family therapist in San Francisco Bay Area. We're having a great discussion. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council.
This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hey, I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. My guest today is Michael Seeley. He's a marriage and family therapist in the San Francisco Bay Area. Got up really early this morning to join us. as We're having a great conversation. I really enjoy this, Michael. You're doing a great job with it, with our, our discussion here. And, and, you know, let me. I want to ask you your definition of, of three words that I, I ask my clients all the time in the first session they come in. You're a former competitive cyclist. You made it to the Olympic trial level, so you get all this stuff, as well as being a therapist. So so what's your definition of winning, first of all? What would your definition of winning be? Well, let's see. Definition of winning, um, I would say progress um, in working with a lot of my clients and also working with uh, some athletes and teams as well is, yeah, so how do you define winning? What What is that? And um, I would say it's it's progress, it's growth, its contribution, um, more of the deeper principles behind uh, that championship attitude. Uh, if, if you're looking at simply winning just the first game or first race or whatever ahead of you and you're putting all of your uh, identity into that, all of your self-esteem into that short-term winning, I think that's a mistake. Um, you look at it as a longer-term growth. Like a metaphor I like to use is, is a tree. You know, if you, if you cut, cut a tree... You look at the rings of growth in the wood and the tree. Um, and that's my definition of, of winning, and I like to talk about that with some of my clients. This this concept of, of growing, always growing, and even you know after you retire from your sport, keep growing, keep um, contributing to the sport that you love. So that's how I like to talk about winning. Okay, that's great. I'm going to jump in on that when we're done with the, these yeah. three definitions. Okay, what about losing? How would you define that? Okay. Um, well, there's the sort of the standard definition of losing is that, uh, you know, it's, it's a failure. You're a failure. Um, you, you broke something. Uh, it's, uh, you know, that, that kind of scarcity mindset. I like to think about winning or sorry, losing as, well, maybe that was a Freudian slip (laughs) winning, (laughs) you know, it's, uh, if you can, if you can learn from a loss, uh, you know, it's, it's just a sport, right? So it's like, uh, what, can, what can you learn from the loss? Can you use that as an opportunity for growth? So uh, not taking it so personally, losing, not like, you know, the whole team is a failure, the coach is a you know, failure, a loser. Like that word loser like, makes no sense to me. Like you only lose if you completely quit or give up, or, you know, not even then. I think losing is an opportunity for growth, honestly. What, what can you learn from that quote-unquote failure exactly okay and so the third word is uh well two words self-confidence self-confidence yeah um you know i think that comes with uh faith in yourself trust in yourself um i would translate to that to trust um because even if you know you get the most self-confident athlete who's you know won multiple championships all these kinds of things um there's always there's always more to to achieve. Uh, so I think it's trust in the future, trust in your ability to figure it out, not just by yourself, but you know, talking to your team, talking to your coach. Um, Self confidence is is trust. Okay, I I love the way you define all three of these. Cause see, to me, winning my definition of winning is did you accomplish your goal? 
Uh-huh. And, and to me, it's not about coming in first place or third place or fifth place, whatever. It's did you accomplish your goal? And, you know, what did you learn about yourself? How did you grow? It's about self-improvement. Losing, yeah. losing is you didn't accomplish what you wanted, but that doesn't yeah. mean you failed. Okay, maybe right. maybe you you got something done, but you didn't you know get to the top. But that doesn't mean you're a failure. And and, and confidence to me is the belief in yourself. The problem I see with so many athletes, especially when they get up to the the high school and collegiate level and, and beyond, is that they've obviously won a lot and succeeded a lot, but along the way, so many of them. When they have confidence issues, even though even at those levels, you know, you see, I see all these pro athletes that have lots of confidence levels because they will have been ridiculed at some point for not winning when they were younger or screwing up or failing. And the message that, you know, the, the message we get from from coaches and teachers at young ages is, is really strong and it has big time impacts. And I think, you know, listen, if, if somebody's misbehaving or acting out, I get why a coach is going to get mad at him. I've got no issue with that. But when you when you miss a free throw or strike out and then, you know, you, you like I, I had a softball player I've mentioned on this show, eighth grade softball player last summer. She got two big hits in her first two at bats and then she made an error at first base. The coach then kicked the bucket he was sitting on, stood up, kicked the bucket into the fence, knocked all the bats and helmets off the the uh, bat rack, pulled her out of the game and glared at her and said, "You're out of the game." Didn't say a word to her after that. This girl sitting at the end of the bench crying, and the parents then you know the next day called me and came in and I said, "Listen, you, you got to have a meeting with this coach and you got to talk to him about what he did. That that's just wrong. Okay, it, it, it's fine if he wants to take her out of the game. That's his choice, but you don't yank her out and glare at her and don't say anything to her because she made an error." So what's the message that's giving to her, Michael? And your, from your professional opinion, then what's the message that young girl's getting? An eighth grade girl, she's fourteen years old. Yeah, um, you know, like we we're talking about earlier, uh, coaches have so much power, um, especially the younger athletes. They really admire coach, their coach. Uh, they really look up to them. It's almost like you know a parent or a father figure. Um, so I think first of all, coaches really need to realize that the role that they have and the power that they have and they can wield that in a good way or you know like in this case a really negative way and so the example that's being set for this girl is that this is how i should react to you know um an error or failure or just part of the game this this is the way it's done this is the way adults do it and i need to imitate that so it's really teaching this kid uh some really just bad behavior first of all and then what it's doing to this girl's, you know, self-esteem, self-confidence, is that, like we're talking about self-confidence, I like to find it as trust in oneself. And if that is the sort of fear that's being instilled in this girl from the coach, um, you know, it's, it's really harmful. You know, I've, I've been fortunate to have worked with so many great people throughout my career. And one of the great coaches I've, I had the privilege of working with was Rusty Kuntz, uh, Kansas City Royals first base coach, when they won the World Series. And... I was a Royal psychologist for several years and we got a player in a trade who's an outfielder. And in talking with this young man, he was saying to me, you know, Doc, I don't really know how to play the outfield. And I mean, the kid was very talented, very fast, but he said, I don't know how to play the caroms off the walls. I don't know how to, how to, you know, where to throw the ball sometimes. I said, how do you not know that? You're a, you're a major league baseball player. You've been in the, up and down the minors and majors for five years. He goes, nobody's ever really taught me. 
And I said, you know, let me let me go get Rusty. So I went out, got Rusty. I said, hey, would you come join our session? Oh, sure. So they came in and we started talking. And Rusty's asking questions about, well, let's see, you're on this team. Oh, well, no wonder this guy, well, he doesn't know how to coach. And then you're with this guy. Well, this guy, all he does is negative stuff. And you're with this team. So Rusty said, you know what? We, we've got to sit here and we've got to work on this. So this young man and Rusty then spent several days. He came in early and they'd work on, on his fielding and his, his positioning in the outfield. And all of a sudden, this kid was playing awesome. His confidence got better. And then in our sessions, he said, you know, Doc, I, I realize now I was never coached the right way. I was always criticized and insulted and degraded. Now I'm finally with a coach who's coaching me. And, you know, and, and I've made mistakes, but he doesn't scream and yell at me. He sits and talks to me about why I made the mistake and how can I make it better. That's what good coaching is about, right? Don't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's really about um, empowering your athletes and not making them dependent on you, either dependent on, you know, for praise or approval or whatever. Uh, but I love that story of just uh, that relationship, cultivating that relationship between coach and player. And then the, the player begins to trust uh, the guidance. And in doing so, that empowers them to say, well, okay, here's, here's this person who's got all this experience. I'm really, I look up to them, and, God, they respect me. If I make a mistake, you know, I'm not going to be judged. I let go of my fear. I can relax. I can get in the zone more. Um, God, this person trusts me. I think I trust myself. Uh, so it's really, you know, it's an example of, of trust and relationship. And that's, uh, that's a great story there. Yeah, it is, and, and I like to share that. Now, listen, we've got to wrap things up today, Michael. I, I'd love to have you back on again. I know getting up early two hours at 4 o'clock in the morning isn't the easiest thing to do, but I appreciate you being here. Listen, if people want to get a hold of you, because our shows are podcasted all over the place, they're, in fact, we're listened to in a number of countries all over the world. How can people get a hold of you if they'd like to reach you? Yeah, the easiest way to do it is just Google me. Um, my last name, Seely, it's spelled C-E-E-L-Y, uh, Seely Counseling. Or Sealy Sports, plural. Sealy Sports or Sealy Counseling. Google that. You'll find me all the contact info there. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. You've given some great insight and advice, and it's good to talk to somebody who, who gets it like you do. I very much appreciate you joining me today. Dr. Jacobs, it's a pleasure, and a great show you have. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. You can reach me several ways. My email is drj at winnersunlimited.com. My website's winnersunlimited.com. We just revised it. My office number is 816-561-5556. Have a great week, stay safe, and have fun. You've been listening to the Sports Psychology Hour. For more information, go to winnersunlimited.com. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. 
If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Olivia from Washington. Laid off and trying to keep our little kids from realizing that mommy and daddy haven't eaten in a while. Roger from California. I'm grateful we could afford our son's surgery. I'm nervous that now we can't really afford food. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Donna from Louisiana. The storm just hit, and we went from donating to the food bank to needing it. Keisha from South Carolina. I've been skipping meals so my two kids can eat, but filling up on water doesn't really work. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council.